I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we've got Kim Millward with us. She's the Economic Development Planner for the Northwest Missouri Regional Council of Government. So Kim, welcome to our show. Thanks. Well, we're glad to have you. We love that part of Missouri. I was just up your way close to you two or three weeks ago in St. Joseph, Missouri, and uh, I got invited to the Chiefs training camp, but didn't feel. I, I was sick, so I didn't go. I didn't figure I needed to make all the Chiefs sick. Y'all might get mad at me up there. So uh, why don't we start with you just telling these folks kind of where your area is if they, they hadn't been there? Well, I am in northwest Missouri, which is about 30 miles north of St. Joseph, Missouri, where the Pony Express, everybody usually thinks of St. Joe and the Pony Express, um, and that's where Chiefs Camp was, so I'm sorry you didn't make it, but we are also about 30 miles from the Iowa state line, about the same to Nebraska, and then of course across there, right there at St. Joe is Kansas, so we're in the extreme northwest corner of Missouri. Yeah, well, we've got a lot of clients up near you, and you all are members of our movement, so thank you for that, and I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Of course, I just spent about two weeks in Omaha watching Mississippi State win the World Series. That's not far from you either, so, uh, no, so I, know, either. I, I know your area well. Well, why don't you talk about some of the success you're having up there? Two of the major projects that we've really had a lot of success with in the last couple of years, when I first transitioned over to this position from workforce development, one of the very first things I was asked to be a part of was to write a build grant for the city of Maryville for our South Main Street corridor project. For those who aren't familiar, this is special funding that comes out through the U.S. Highway Department, Federal Highway, and they are highly competitive grants. So there's not a ton given out each year. And this was the first year that they had a segment specifically for rural communities that didn't have a match. So that's really important. And so what our transportation planner in-house did is she was attending the webinars and she's like, hey, this is a real great opportunity. Do we know of any projects we have? And I said, yes, the city of Maryville are our main street. We need to talk to the city manager immediately. And so 
we went over and talked to them and I just kind of laid out the parameters of the grant. And this was a great opportunity for us to take about a 1.5 mile stretch and what we were hoping to do over 10 years to maybe do in a couple. So we spent a good 45 to 60 days putting together that application, sent it in and crossed our fingers. And the following year, we were told we were going to get $10.2 million out of about a $12 million project. So that has been stalled a little bit due to COVID and prices have gone up. So now we're going to shorten the project um, and get about half of it done for that. But we hope to start construction here in the next month or two. That will literally transform our business district where the majority of our businesses are, and it will make it a complete street. So that area right now has power lines that are strung through it. So those are going to get undergrounded, which will be nice cosmetically, but also add resiliency to that area. We will have sidewalks all the way through the corridor, which currently right now there is none. We will actually have stormwater drainage in the terms of covered ditches, um, which we don't have right now. And we will have a bike path through there. Wow. Plus, we're going to add a couple of stoplights to help with congestion. So for us, it's going to be a major kind of a once in a lifetime transformative project for our area. It's also our main entrance to town. So when companies come in or people come in to visit the university, that's oftentimes the first thing they see. So it's really going to be, in addition, a beautification project because we're going to get to kind of landscape and, and tailor that area to look more like a a small town downtown. Right. Well, I got a question for you. I was in Illinois. I won't say what town because I think they might have a good idea and I don't want to give it away. But I was in Illinois a week or two ago and they asked if Next Move Group did grant writing. And we don't. We have other consultants we work with that do. But anyway, I said their idea was with all the stimulus money, it's it's all going into not only do you get your direct allocation, but, you know, EDA is getting more money than ever and USDA rural development. And anyhow, this community was thinking they needed somebody just constantly looking for those and pursuing them, and, you know, to the point they might even hire a staff person to do it. I mean, are you seeing enough activity that communities might want to do that or because, I mean, you live more in that world than I do. So I would I would like your advice. So we do see a lot of activity in that area. I do think that some groups could band together. I would always say go and talk to your local regional planning commission and see what they have and who's available to help write that. Because oftentimes we have some of those beginning connections to some of those grant sources to you know, kind of fill out that project idea. But the problem sometimes we even have is we don't have enough staff. That's um, what to this do guy all was, the projects we want. That's what do. this that's what this guy was saying. I told him I said, well, it's bound to be, you know, people here that do that. He said there are. He said, but but they're just so swamped right now. They're full up that, that they can't hardly take on more capacity. One of the things that we try to do is use a lot of interns from our university and try to use some of those resources. So we actually have a hazard mitigation planning assistant position that's open right now with school start, and we're hoping to fill that. But they're going to help work on we have two hazard mitigation plans we're working on right now, and then we're getting ready to do a big update to the one that is for all the electric cooperatives in the state of Missouri. We just kind of, each year we have a a county hazard mitigation plan we have to update. We try to utilize those interns to the best of our ability and to use the resources at the university. And then we typically know who in our community has done some grant writing 
that if we can't do it, who may be able to possibly help? Right, right. Well, that may be something we add with, again, we've got a consultant that does a lot of work with us who does that. So we may add that as, I just didn't know it was such a demand. I didn't, I knew there was a demand. I didn't know the supply of of people who could write those things were outweighed. So anyway, (laughs) we we may get into that by just by supply and demand. Yes because of all the funds that are just out there and flowing right now. And that's kind of one of the things when we started in, and it wasn't even necessarily the pandemic, before the pandemic, our area was actually hit by some of the flooding in 2019. And we have two counties that had a lot of flooding. And so we had started working on that. And one of the things that I that came out of that as I was talking and with people is somebody told me, you never waste a crisis. Um, because that is the opportunity when the most money is going to be available with the least amount of strings, hopefully for your community to Mm -hmm. do some of the improvement projects you want. And so literally that is probably going to be your busiest time because A, you're trying to help your area recover, but B, you're also trying to look towards the future and get that grant source money coming in. Sure, sure. Well, I remember, yeah, when I, so I went to the College World Series in Omaha in 19 as well, because Mississippi Mm -hmm. State made it. And you're, I think I flew some reason I flew to Kansas City and drove up and, and uh, you know, rubbed that interstate and saw all that flooding. And so, uh, but you're right. I mean, looking at New Orleans after Katrina, as devastating as it was, so much money pours in and you can rebuild so many areas. So, yeah. well, t- take us back to how you first stumbled into economic development. <laughs> well, I actually kind of stumbled in, I'd say, about um, 25 years ago. Um, and I actually took my first job out of college working for the local job center with the Job Training Partnership Act Part 2. I did workforce development for a number of years, about 20, and was just something that was easy to do. Our area has always had historic low unemployment. Typically, we've even been below 3%, which is extremely low. And so finding people to meet the needs of our businesses, especially our manufacturers, when you have one that's expanding every year or every couple of years, is really difficult. And so not only was I managing the job training programs, but I was trying to work with the economic developers in the area to see what we could do to increase things like childcare, transportation options for our residents. So it started kind of about 25 years ago. I came to the Regional Planning Commission roughly 25 years ago. In that capacity. During that time, I worked with several economic developers here, and one of the gentlemen who was actually my predecessor, Arnie Creek, was really good about talking about the projects he had in-house, and I could see between him and our executive director how that was helping our communities. And so when I was ready to not work with individuals, Arnie had decided he was going to retire, and I asked our then executive director if I could slide over into that position. And so it was a nice fit because I already kind of had some of that background, but I also had a lot of the contacts that we needed within the economic development community in our region um, to kind of make those things work. Right. Now, uh, I know every planning commission is a little bit different as far as what they are planning council, as far as what they offered. And some of them are called development districts and regional council Mm -hmm. of government. So do y'all offer any of the transportation? Because I've actually seen a few who have offered that like to the elderly. And now they're they're transitioning that to like create routes to take workers to the industrial plants. Is that something you all have done? Have you seen other ones doing that? I have seen others do that. That is not something we do. Ours mainly uh, transportation planner focuses on roads and bridges, mainly letter routes. Those seem to be one of the things that 
in our region is the area where MoDOT doesn't necessarily have a lot of money to put onto those. And then our counties don't have a lot of money to put onto those. So trying to keep and maintain that. Missouri has the most <laughs> miles of highway than most states around us. And so it's hard to maintain that infrastructure. So yeah. just maintaining that basic infrastructure um, keeps us with a full-time planner. Oh yeah, and I'm telling you, Missouri's big. I mean, you know, you've always seen it on a map, but till I started coming, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time up here till 2014. But if, if you go from uh, the Cape Girardeau area in the Southeast to your area in the Northwest, that's a day's drive. I mean, it, it's not like going across Texas, but that, I mean, it's a long way. To get up there. So in uh, and, and St. Louis, even, I mean, when I'm driving up from Memphis, you know, uh, to St. Louis, a lot of times when I hit the Missouri line, you know, I feel like, oh, I'm almost to St. Louis. No, you got another 200 miles to go. So it's on yeah. up there. Yeah. At one time, it was literally if I would needed to go to a conference in St. Louis versus driving, it was literally easier, quicker and cheaper for me to go to Kansas City and hop on a plane. Oh, I bet so. Yeah. Well, after and all these years. <laughs> 20, 25 years into it, what still gets you awake every morning, uh, passionate about yeah. what you do. And you are passionate. I have to say, I've gotten to know Kim through our movement to Q&As, and she always shows up and has a lot to say. And so what still makes you tick? Yeah, I think just um, helping our rural communities. Um, I have always kind of lived in an area which has been um, mainly rural. Um, my parents both came off a farm. Um, my dad was in ag marketing. We moved around and we lived in some fairly um, large communities too, um, because that's where the manufacturing facilities were. But um, home has always just kind of been these smaller communities. And, and if you want people to stay, then you have to have things that make them want to stay. Um, and the same with businesses. If businesses are going to stay, you have to have the amenities and the infrastructure to make them stay. So if I can do just one little bit of that, um, and help all of our communities keep people here and keep businesses here, then at the end of the day, I feel like I've done something to help my communities. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my builders and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make? For me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database. Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other builders and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success. Well, take us back to when you were 10 or 11 years old, uh, I guess growing up on the farm, what did you want to be when you grew up? And let's oh, compare that to now. Yeah. So um, there was a lot of things during my time. I have wanted to be an astronaut. I have wanted to be a veterinarian. 
I have wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. I've even wanted to be president of the United States. So, you know, you just kind of, um, as a kid, I think I was always allowed to dream and I was always told that there was nothing I couldn't do. So that just kind of left me open to kind of explore a, a lot of different things. There was things I, my parents were good about making sure we had some kind of experience. Um, so in 4-H, even though we weren't a farm, I wasn't on the farm, we lived kind of what they considered in town. Um, my parents made sure that I went in, um, job shadowed a vet, quickly learned that wasn't for me. Um, wanted to be an astronaut. Um, then we had the Challenger explosion. So that to me was just like, oh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to do that. Um, so things like that. I really thought coming out of college, um, I was going to do something in the entertainment business because while I was at college, I was the president of the campus activity programmers, which was responsible for bringing all the entertainment to campus. And that paid for two years of college because I was on a scholarship for that. I got to meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people in the industry and really thought that's what I was going to do when I got out. Thought I was going to go to law school and be an entertainment lawyer. Met a guy here and decided I was going to stay. Um, and my undergrad was in government, which I always have been interested in elections and politics and those types of things. So it was always there, but you just kind of have to decide where you want to go. There's so many things that you can figure out. Shoot, at one time I thought I was going to be a superintendent of schools too. So who knows? <laughs> well, that all kind of ties in though. So be astronaut, but it looks like you can do that now. Every time I turn around, there somebody else is going yeah. to space. But uh, I, I could probably buy a ticket to space today. So. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, what you're doing obviously is dealing with government and even the whole legal, you know, while you're not a lawyer, you know, you still have to understand enough. I almost feel sorry, I've said to some of our elected officials who were just elected because they're they're getting all this money. And if, if you really hadn't had experience, I mean, you've been doing this a long time. If, if you didn't have experience dealing with government money, I, I, some of these people may spend this money not the right way, not because of their fault. But what if you just were elected last November and you, you took office in January yeah. and in March and in March, you learned that, you know, 20 million dollars is showing up. <laughs> you know, you had never worked and, in government in your life. <laughs> and, and that actually happened to one of our commissioners. He was newly elected. Um, in November. And I think then we got flooding the following spring. Um, and he was also, I think, the designated emergency management coordinator for the county. <laughs> so he got a real quick crash course in dealing with people from the state and federal level um, with FEMA and SEMA and how fast and how slow that process can work. And then trying to get all that information out to his communities to make sure they could rebuild. And it is a lot that's going on and trying to coordinate all of those different resources um, because we had food coming in, we had um, sanitation supplies coming in, we had people coming in, the Corps wanted to fix what levees they could get to. We were trying to do a major setback on the levee. So yeah, it can be quite overwhelming. Yeah. And, you know, talking about that. So our podcast guest next week for our movement members is uh, Rob O'Brien, who was in Joplin. He was the Joplin <laughs> Chamber Economic Development guy. For years, well-respected. Yeah. He started his own firm now. And uh, so he was there, though, when the Joplin tornado came. And I was just in Joplin this year, and it's amazing. You can still see where that tornado went, and you can see all the new, you know, brand-new mm -hmm. schools and all. But anyway, we're going to get into some of that next week. And, and, you know, that disaster was so great. I mean, you know, you're talking two days later, the National Guard's there, you know, pushing away all the debris and all. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting for people who might ever have to go through anything like that. Well, who would you say has been the biggest influence on your career? 
So I would say probably um, one of the people who had the biggest influence on my career um, was probably Randy Railsback. He was the executive director at the Regional Planning Commission when I came to work for him as the director of workforce development. We were actually outstationed at that time at another building, but he always was allowing me to come in with ideas and say, hey, I'd like to do this, would like to look at potentially writing a grant for this. That wasn't something that we were, we were nearly doing at that time. Um, work keys was something brand new in Missouri. And I said, hey, can we potentially create a side business on this where we would test and charge the industries who were wanting to have profiling done or wanting to have testing done? Can we write a grant to get the initial equipment? Those types of things. And those were things that weren't done at the time when I came in for our particular section. We typically had just gotten our money through the private industry council, which became the workforce development board. And that's pretty much what our agency ran off of for workforce funds. And so I tried to expand that. He never said, hey, that's a crazy idea. No, I don't think you should do that. He always said, you know, continue to look if you see something let us talk about it and figure it out. And he also dealt with, you know, the times when I came in and I said, you know, they're, they're talking about cutting funds and how are we going to keep things going? Because I was always very concerned about keeping my staff as much as I could. And if that meant I didn't get a raise and they could get a raise, then that was good because I knew there was very little sometimes that I could give them in terms of extra benefits or, or reasons. And we all had kids growing up, you know, so I tried to make it a nice work environment and he never told me no he really allowed me to kind of expand and grow as a professional. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. In June of 2020, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, and we already have more than 100 economic developers as part of our movement. The movement was really built to help improve the quality of lives of economic developers. It helps economic developers land more deals, helps them get along better with their board and elected officials, helps them deal with the media, even helps them learn how to build their resume if they want to look for a new job. So thank you to our first 100 members, and if you want to join the movement, go to the nextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more. And do you have any daily habits that you do every day that help make you successful? A lot of people I've interviewed have little habits that just keep them organized and stuff. You have anything like that? Yeah. So when I get up each day and get into work, first thing I always do is look at my calendar. And the next thing I do is look at my email and then I make a plan of attack for the day. (laughs) That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but at least I try to prioritize things that have to be done that day to things that are kind of something that needs to be done in that week. And then what can be done in the next couple of weeks and try to really hit those things and get them done. I'm trying to not take work home as much. If I can get those key things done during the day, that always seems to help make my day go better if I have that list. If I don't have a list, then I'm, I'm lost for the first couple of hours and trying to figure out what I need to do. So that's just kind of one of the things I always do. I always try to think too in the morning when I first get up, you know, just start with a positive attitude. So I always try to think of two things. Dr. Seuss was always a favorite as a child. So I always start with that. Today is your day just go out there and do what you can and do the best you can. And then the other one is Ewing Kaufman saying, which is be uncommon. 
and just go out there and try to do your best. And for me, that's, you know, if we've got a problem for a community and it just doesn't seem like it's something that's on the normal track, what can we do to make it different? We're actually waiting on a grant announcement right now that we have been chasing PER money, preliminary engineering report grant money for a small community's water system for three years. <laughs> we are hoping this week we get an announcement. They're telling me it looks good. And that's because I just didn't give up. And I, I literally went to about every funding source I could think of. And when we would get turned down, I would call and say, why wasn't our application funded? Can you tell me what we could do better? Could you tell me what the community could do to help improve their application? And so I think things like that, just kind of setting my mind and, and being a little tenacious <laughs> help. Yeah, well, I tell you, the list building, I'm a victim of that this week. Sunday, I normally build my list on Sunday, and Sunday I got off track and didn't do it. And I've been lost all week. <laughs> I'm like, it's going it's to, and, and you'd think I could just sit and build me another one, but it's almost like my Sunday rich. It's like I, I need next Sunday to come to get back in my proper, in my proper yeah. flow. So well, as, we, uh, as we wind down, what would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever received in the industry, or what advice would you have for, for others that are just starting out? Yeah, so I think some of the best advice I always have received and I go back to were some of the things that even my mom and my dad told me was just to go out there, do your best, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And they really kind of set the groundwork for that. So I think in any occupation anymore, there's two things that are always going to be important. And the first one is oftentimes being able to speak in front of a group. My parents were very big into that for me and actually sent me to a two-week speech and debate camp right out of high school for my graduation present. So that was really nice. And then the other thing is, is be willing to continue to learn and learn how to research. Learning doesn't just mean, you know, you're taking a class or you're working on a degree. A lot of what I do each day is something that's new, maybe hasn't even been done by somebody in our agency. So I literally hit the internet and go out and research and figure out what are those good sources and bad sources of information that I can use to help on a project. Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us. Anything else you want to leave with our viewers this week or with our listeners as we conclude? <laughs> um, no, thanks just for having me. I enjoyed the movement and look forward to many more podcasts and shows Q&As that we have during. Yeah, thank you. You were one of our first members. And uh, so now we're going through the batch again and we've had like a 95% renewal. So thank you all for your renewal. And uh, we have really enjoyed that. I, don't, I hope it comes out how much we enjoy it. It's been a whole lot of fun. You know what? It, and it's helped us grow our business, not just with the memberships, but um, when you have to sit and put those courses together, it makes you better because you mm -hmm. You relook at things. You think to yourself, you know, I'm giving these people this advice and I'm skipping this step myself. <laughs> you know, so I think yeah. I think it's really helped us uh, focus ourselves. No, I think for our region, um, from the chair of our Northwest Missouri Roundtable, um, we have so many new economic developers who did not come to the field um, with training from a university or um, don't really have that background. And so for me to be able to say, hey, here is this particular information for something maybe that you're working on um, or just some basic information, like, for instance, the package you did on uh, requests for information, oh, RFIs, yeah. we are actually getting ready to sit down with three of our counties as part of our CARES Act grant. And we're literally going to hunt down all that information 
um, and put, we're going to grab the information now, but we're also going to put the link of where we found it. So in six months, if they need to update it, they can go back. Um, and so we're going to use that as well as some stuff we got from um, one of our other partners, uh, Missouri Partnership. They've kind of collected all the questions they could find on an RFI. We're going to put both of those together and try to gather all that information for three communities that um, really haven't had full-time economic developers um, for the whole county right. in a number of years. Um, and because they want to recruit businesses and I'm like, well, you have to have the basic information. You're not going to have the time. So yeah. And you got to know that, but you got to know that before the, the questionnaire shows up or you'll yeah. kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Those have been very good. I've passed, I think, um, the ones that you've done from, for, uh, the ARPA money, the American rescue plan. Um, I've passed those on to our person in house who's been trying to learn everything they can about that and get that information out to our 40 communities and five counties. And so it's been very helpful to us. It usually comes out under our banner from Great Northwest. Our secretary usually sends it out and it's usually, it's all great stuff. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah, we got to do one now on the infrastructure bill. I'm, I'm telling people, you know, if, if I were sitting in the mayor's shoes or economic developer, I think you're going to get a lot of infrastructure money coming. So I might would use my American Rescue Plan money on workforce initiatives, you know, because I think you you might have infrastructure money coming, but we'll see. Uh, but we'll probably have a show coming yeah. up on that real soon. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't. We've kind of been tracking some of that because of the Main Street Project, because we now have this funding gap. I don't know. It, it's going to spin out a lot of things, I think. Water and wastewater as well. Potentially. Yeah, for so. sure. All right, Kim. Well, thank you for being with us today. We no appreciate problem. it. Thank you.